I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Why are you laughing? I don't know. Like, I had like a moment of panic. <laughs> like I was like, hi, you I'm like, Keegan. What comes next? You literally wouldn't look at me. No, because I would have I would have completely it would have just flopped right out of my brain. Like <laughs> Jesus. The look on your face makes so much sorry. I'm probably spiking the audio right now. I apologize, but like the look on your face makes so much more sense now because you were just staring at the table yeah your eyes like wide I'm like is she like gonna pass out yeah I, I had like my heart skipped a beat for like a second there I was just like oh no it's muscle memory it's muscle memory like it was kind of like after the pandemic where we didn't have to do the spiel for a really long time and like the first time I said it I was like oh my god I like remember it it's like still in my body but literally the part that I was like oh no was like and you're listening to like you're angry I was like what comes after our names like it gave me like a pause for a second there I really I would have loved if there was a pause just to experience it's that moment look we're all just barely hanging on it's been a couple years Keegan (laughs) it's been a 2020 a 2021 we're in 2022 life is not getting any easier all is forgiven very skeptical about 2022 so far oh yeah I mean I would I'd like a refund on the past two years first yes yeah I'm a bit skeptical like from a personal place like I'm I'm feeling pretty good like I'm working out I'm I'm drinking a lot of water right I'm not drinking any alcohol so far this year so I'm feeling okay I'm reading like I'm feeling pretty good personally however I I still the world the world but you know it's bizarre to me because I am 
uh, it's almost my half birthday, which was a mm-hmm. thing for me growing up because I have a summer birthday. So for school, we would celebrate my birthday on January 9th. So yeah. I was like, oh, it's almost my half birthday. So I'm heading into kind of like a milestone birthday, 30. Yeah. And I think about, I was 27 when the pandemic started. Yeah. And turned 28 and then turned 29 during oh, the yeah. pandemic. Listen. And I'm going to be turning 30 in six months. It's a mess. Um, <laughs> at least your birthday's in the summer, which I feel like things always get a little bit better. Like we get past the winter spike. Of I got to I gotta be honest. I've gotten lucky for both summers where at least it's been like a little bit like more, more chill. chill but yeah. yeah, you've really, you yeah, got you it know, bad. I've, I've let it go at this point. Like I'm like. We're going to be heading into your third, third birthday uh, in the pandemic. Exactly. Wait. No. 30th, then my 31st. 2020, 2021, yes. so 2022. This will be my um 32nd birthday. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. Yeah, cuz Max turned 30 literally right before the pandemic started yeah. and you're like almost the same age. Wow. Yeah, I'm like four four months behind him, I think. Wow. So, yeah, it's um Well, yeah. <laughs> totally not on topic for anything we're discussing, but no, but my did you see point? me just zone, zone out right then? Like I was just like the past Boom. two and a half years, like just what? <laughs> but it's like one of those things where it's like, I honestly feel like I have interactions on a daily basis with other people where I'm like, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You said something wrong. You said something funny. You tripped over your own feet. You're forgiven. None of us know how to be people anymore. Yeah, we're, we're all barely peopling at this point. We're yeah. barely hanging on. I'm trying to people... But I feel like I'm turning into more of just like a blob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an enigma. Anyway. None of anyway. Has anything to do with what we're talking about today. Yeah. So this was actually a listener's suggestion it for was. us to talk about child beauty pageants, beauty pageants in general. It's something that I've definitely thought about a lot during the four years we've done this show. And I feel like the best way to start this conversation, because we are going to split this up into kind of two parts. We're going to start with the child pageant section and then move on to just more the adult Miss America kind of pageants from there. But I think the best way to start would be for both of us to kind of state our opinions (laughs) on it generally Mm -hmm. so that it kind of lays the groundwork moving forward. So, Well, my opinion has... What's your opinion and experience? Because I feel like we probably had different experiences with this growing up. I bet we did. Um, I... I, I feel like my opinion on beauty pageants have definitely changed. I was such a, you know, for lack of a better term, girly girl growing right. up, you know, pink bedroom, princess, everything, loved sparkles, glitter, anything like that was my bag. So for me, I always watched Miss America. I always wanted, I wanted to be that like glamorous older woman was were beauty pageants something that like your friends in school did was it something that because like Missouri to me is kind of that like weird state where you're like half in the Midwest half in the South yeah not so much in Missouri whenever I was a kid like a toddler I did some I I did a couple like little beauty really it wasn't like toddlers and tiaras it was like back in the day back when it was oh no like it was kind of probably like the friends episode where they put Emma in the beauty pageant yeah whereas like it's not like a huge like your baby in a cute little frilly dress yeah it's still weird it's still super fucking judging babies based on how cute you think they are is still weird yeah um but and I, I am glad my mom didn't continue on with 
right. that I definitely would have liked to have been in the pageant circuit as a kid I think I thought it was glamorous. I think know? both of us would have been absolute stars oh, yes. in child pageants. I, it up. I was such a ham. Yeah. My mom always had a home video camera on my face and I was making up songs and monologues. Oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah, I can just see. Oh, my. I yes. wish we had known each other as children. Know, we would so have fun. been best friends I swear oh my gosh but yeah like I would have thrived on that and I did uh so I did this thing called stars at sea and that's how I got my scholarship to the school that we went to Uh and it was probably a bit of a scam but I had a great time but I had to do like a modeling section and like monologues improv and stuff but there was like a whole like modeling like thing or whatever I got mine through a Christian acting and music thing and it was the same thing i had no idea were you on a cruise ship i was not i was on a cruise ship i was in florida i have my um prize over there (gasps) did you get a trophy what'd you win it was like i i placed in like commercial modeling yeah I won best overall actress in my age category. Thank you very much. But it is where I got my um, scholarship to go to the school that we went to as yeah, well. Yeah, I love it. That's so funny. So like that was my only experience. But like, so my dad was in advertising and like kind of wanted to get me to get into modeling when I was like in my teens. And I was just like, I can't take this seriously. Like I've never been, I love taking photos and stuff, but like I don't take myself seriously enough to do that. It's like, it wasn't my jive. So I just totally made a joke of it or whatever. But like, pageants in general are just like not a thing where I'm from or at least it wasn't anywhere near my existence like I never knew a single person who did a pageant growing up my first introduction to that world was like toddlers and tiaras yeah I mean I will say when I lived in Las Vegas yeah there were more pageants right in in there were more pageants in Las Vegas than there were where I was at at it just wasn't like in the culture and like that's why I was asking about Missouri because I feel like no it wasn't really in the culture where I was from in Missouri I don't know about like some of the other cities or like other areas yeah really like where I was from like I'm sure that there were pageants but not like the big 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 ones yeah Yeah. but I do want to say before we start as well that there was something interesting because you all know how much of a psychology nerd I am and I love looking at my psychology today episode for episodes psychology today articles for our episodes so i was reading a lot about the psychological effects of yeah. pageants and child yeah. beauty pageants and stuff and they were really going into how similar it is to any sort of aesthetic sport or activity that we're into which i think can help us relate to it yes. a lot because yeah. we've both been involved in that and i think there's a way of being like oh my god beauty pageants are so extreme but when you think about it there are a lot of correlations between you know dancers skaters cheerleaders actors there there is this really high pressure system this high pressure job put on a child young children and it's a lot of pressure when it comes to appearance and poise and speech and things that kids normally I would say shouldn't have to worry about I personally am anti-pageant anti-child pageant I would not put my child in a pageant even as much as I as a little kid would have said, I wanted to be in it. Yeah. I now as an adult would not. Because as a kid, there's no way that you can understand what's put behind it. I wouldn't, I would not. And it's not even just about me. Like, Oh, I wouldn't put a kid in it. Like I'm going to be anti pageants unless 
they completely changed. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that the thought of putting so much basis on looks is so damaging. And even though I know there are interview portions and talent and all this other stuff, all of that is still surrounding around right. a very first and foremost is Eurocent- what do you look like? Yeah, and it's yeah. this Eurocentric, one-dimensional, even though they tried to be more diverse, it's still so one-dimensional and it hurts me right, right. to and, watch these things. With child pageants specifically, it is such a I mean, all pageants, right? Like what beauty is is very kind of like narrowly defined. Exactly. And, yeah. And so for child pageants, you are you're reinforcing this notion that like beauty looks like this. Uh-huh. And what it looks like is you are five and you're wearing fake eyelashes and fake teeth. And in some cases that I'll talk about um, going into this section, you're getting Botox as a elementary school child. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, a very narrow, narrowly defined definition of of what beauty is, and One, you're introducing that to children very, very young. One hundred percent, which is a very hard thing to shake free of later. Because when you're in, when you're being taught these beauty ideals at a very young age, you're literally forming their minds to believe these things. Like children are literally sponges, and, and we you're got that forming enough. their brains, right? And I and I feel like I got that enough just by watching yes. Disney movies and just every other piece of. But actually having your child mm -hmm. be put in that amount of pressure to actually be that is something astronomical. And and often because of this, like there is this um, success by proxy that they talk about in a lot of these um, stage mom princess by proxy stage mom things that happen a lot with children in beauty pageants that they talk about in a lot of those psychology articles as well, um, which creates very often in a very unhealthy dynamic between parent and child, which is also not good, especially since yeah. a lot of these kids are literally like four to seven. Like yeah. they're very, very, very young. They're very young. So let's go back to the beginning a little bit. So adult pageants were around before child beauty pageants, but we're talking about child beauty pageants first. So the idea of a child beauty pageant had been circling around for quite a while in the beginning of the 20th century through these most beautiful child contests, which were held in major cities across the U.S. Which again, weird it's weird it's like, very weird even if you don't put makeup on your baby like just being like my baby's cute right like that like validation and i understand that it, a lot of times there's incentives in the i was gonna of, like, say prize, i think a, prizes. a lot of times there's financial prizes and then these parents are like my child is beautiful because everyone thinks their child is beautiful of course so right. it's like they're gonna put them for these things and i get i get that i get that like means to an ends kind of thing right i mean it but it just ends up feeling really predatory on like lower classes. It is. It is. It's awful. So then a hotel in Atlantic City got the idea to hold a pageant to help boost tourism. And that was when both adult and child pageants kind of became a thing. The first Little Miss America pageant began in the 60s in New Jersey at the Palisades Amusement Park. Originally, it was only for children 13 to 17 years old. But by 1964, there were over 35,000 participants, which prompted age divisions. So then they were like, we can't just have these teenagers doing it. We have to let it open for everybody. You really, could. Everybody you really wants- could. You really could have just left. I mean, even then at 13, I think it's damaging to be in direct competition with your peers like that on like a looks basis. Yeah. However, I do feel like, you know, you have a bit more autonomy adults. at that right. point where you can you make your own decisions. Agency. Yeah, exactly. 
Since the 60s, the industry has grown to include about 25,000 pageants, and the industry brings in about $20 billion a year. Yeah, uh, it's very concerning. And anybody who watched, like you were saying that your first introduction to pageants was through like toddlers Toddlers and tiaras. tiaras. Yeah. And if you watch that show and I understand that the show is kind of, I don't think the show wants you to be rooting for these parents necessarily. Like it's it's showing you this as kind of this like sideshow. Look at these people. Like, isn't this insane? Um, However, I do think it was a lot of people's kind of like first exposure to children in these positions. And you saw really like damaging relationships between the parents and the children. But I got to say, as a kid, that was the reason that I really enjoyed. I never really got into toddlers and tiaras when I watched that and I watched Dance Moms. It was the like embellished version of my childhood sure that I enjoyed watching yeah, pumped Be- up to 11 yeah because mm-hmm. like, I mean I've I saw like some actual physical abuse go down at skating rinks but like seeing moms like doing the dance routines yes. and doing all that yeah. like to me I was like oh my god I know that person like yes. it was to me it was so funny but almost as an adult watching it I'm like oh I it's, can't it's one of those shows that I don't think would exist now no like, I, I think that people wouldn't allow this to exist now because what you Poor were seeing honey boo boo right and what you were seeing was young very young children like literal toddlers and they're having meltdowns and they're having these very normal reactions to being forced to work these very intense, rigorous schedules. Well, yes, because that's the thing. It's not just the actual pageant where they're going out and performing. There are so many hours of training and costumes. And one big takeaway, uh, actually, I should say two big takeaways that I remember from Toddlers and Tiaras. Both kind of have to do with Honey Boo Boo, yeah. um, but it's the spray tanning. Yeah. And it was the, well, it was like the Honey Boo Boo juice. The Go Go juice. The Go Go juice. Which was a combination of Red Bull and Mountain Dew. Yeah. That Mama June, her mom, was feeding her child at like five. Yeah. Like to keep her going, to keep yeah. her energetic. And you know what that reminds me of is Judy Garland going to MGM at 12 and having them put her on pet pills and it's, all that kind of stuff. Like it really, like I get that it's like one of them is a drug and one of them is like something you can buy at 7-Eleven. But it's fucked up. Like Red like, Bull's not good for, I, no. I like Red Bull and Red Bull's not good for adults. You should not be giving that to somebody no. who's not at all developed. I yet. wasn't allowed to drink soda until I was probably like seven or eight. Like my mom didn't want me to have any of that caffeine stuff because it was just like it's not good for you and, you're young and you're giving it to them for the express purpose of knowing that they do not have enough energy or stamina to exactly. get through this so you are manipulating their body like their body chemistry so that and, they can and like I'm sorry if I'm kind of like jumping around in note situations here but like talking about this made me think of it there are no child labor laws when it comes to activities like this right which there should be because it's a full time job there should be and I even think about the time that I was homeschooled or the time that my friends were homeschooled for skating and the amount of hours we put in but then I think about these beauty pageants and it's such to me it's like I don't know if I'm thinking it's weird because sports and this are so much different in my head. But I'm thinking about the amount of time that these kids are putting into just their appearance that makes me so pissed. There's no other like real goals in line that drives me nuts. Right. So like, let's jump ahead a little bit then in in my notes and talk about 
talk about that pageant mom, uh, Carrie Campbell. In 2011, she admitted to injecting her eight-year-old daughter, Brittany, with Botox. According to ABC News, Campbell claimed that Brittany herself had asked for the injections. <gasps> in a television interview... Blaming... With the, what a Ted Cruz move. Yeah. So in a television interview with Good Morning America, um, she said that Brittany stated... I just like don't think wrinkles are nice on little girls. Well, where did you get where do you think Brittany got that idea? Exactly. Where do you think she got the idea that one, she had wrinkles because she's eight. Yeah, so she definitely doesn't have doesn't. wrinkles. Um, and secondly, like, where do you think she got the idea that wrinkles are something that you should be like scared of, of or ashamed from of? From mommy. Right. From mommy. And from the world that they live in. Yeah. Um, so the mother then said they, the other pageant moms, were just telling me about the lines on her face, her eight-year-old's face, and how, you know, a lot of the moms are giving their kids Botox, and it's pretty much like a thing. She went on, I'm not the only one that does it. A lot of moms do it. Oh, my God. And I'm I'm telling you right now, maybe this little Brittany was cool with it because her mom has ingrained in her that these lines are so bad that she needs a needle in her face. But I'm picturing all those little kids that don't want a fucking needle in their face and their parent or whoever is coming forward with something like that. That is terrifying to me because kids, I mean, kids hate shots. As an adult, you can make, like, I am so pro making whatever decision you want to make right, for yourself of as an adult. Like, I will, you know, there's there's probably stuff I'm going to do, you know, at some point in my life. But as a child, if I was an eight-year-old and I told my mom, I want Botox, like, I want it. I want lip injections. Your mom it's would think you mom, were fucking crazy. Well, and it's her job to tell me no like yeah. it is your job as my mother to say no and what doctor performed that procedure like who would give a child it's such well and I'm like my my brain is jumping around to a million different part of my notes because to me that speaks of privilege like extreme privilege because what doctor would yeah you got to be paying them a lot because Botox is not that expensive exactly so you got to be paying them over for them to be able to do that because I really do feel like there have to be rules against that. Like, yeah. you could potentially lose your license. You have to be, you know, I just think that that's wild. And that has got to be worth the risk. Yeah. And that kind of leads into the next bullet point I have here, which is the big, big one that I think a lot of people talk about when they talk about child beauty pageants. And that is the sexualization of children. Yes. Yeah, so I actually, um, also have a lot of notes on this as well obviously because like you said this is like the biggest talking point but um i read something interesting because i feel like something that society does so much is blur the lines between sexuality mm-hmm. and sexualization and yes. i think that not for necessarily our listeners but for a lot of people that's something that can be very blurred But I read this online and I felt like this was a very good explanation for the difference between sexuality and sexualization. And that is participants and viewers impose adulthood on children while still expecting them to radiate innocence. Yes. And I think that is like the best explanation of these child beauty pageants because for one, we're judging them on the fact that they're so innocent and cute and adorable. But then at the same time, 
we are dressing them and treating them in a way that is very, very adult. And we're judging them in a way that is very, very adult. adult. Mm-hmm. The judging systems between the adult beauty pageants and the child beauty pageants really aren't different. It's the same expectations. Yeah. And that right there should tell you that these children are expected to act as grown adults. And one of the things that adults do is they tend to show off their bodies a little bit yeah. more. And they maybe will get a spray tan or plastic surgery and things like that. And there is this innate difference between a healthy sexuality in seeing a girl or I shouldn't say a girl, seeing a woman in scantily clad clothes versus sexualization and seeing a young girl in scantily clad clothes. Now, this is not the child's fault. I want to say that first and foremost, because I think that there is also this thing where it's like, oh, well, she's out there in this. Like for me, I always... I would get like wolf whistled at when I was little for my like skating skirts that I would wear and things like that. But it made me feel like I was doing something wrong. And I think it's just important to say like these kids doing this, there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is the adult viewing it in a distorted, horrible way. And I think it's also important to look at like, how did we get here? Like why on toddlers and tiaras when a four year old dressed up like Dolly Parton who puts on like big, boobs padded boobs and padded butt like why is that something that we have decided as a culture within the pageant culture that that is something that should be praised right like why like where did we get how did we get to this how did we right I, i don't know except for that these children being sexualized gets them higher points yeah right like they wouldn't do it otherwise yeah yeah, I mean, rem- I mean, I'm going to keep mentioning Dance Moms because I didn't really watch a lot of toddlers and tiaras, but there's an episode where they're wearing these like teeny little like bikini outfits, and the moms are like totally scandalized. And the dance teacher was like, "We were just there in, so- in Arizona, and all the girls are wearing these things. Like, if we want to win, we got to be competitive. We got to keep up with the winners. And this is what the winners are wearing." But so I why wonder, are the winners wearing that? Like, I don't I think that know. That's always the question that we need to ask, right? Well, it's not that it's necessarily inherently sexual, but it's why are we doing it? And is that reason sexual, right? Is yes. there a sexuality behind why we are putting little kids in these outfits that we would deem in any other context to yeah. be age inappropriate for them, right? Right, exactly. And something that I think is absolutely crazy is that the Miss Teen USA just recently in 2016 replaced their swimwear category with athletic wear. In 2016. But at the same time, that cruise that I went on for the talent competition, I had a swimsuit thing, but I was like 17 at the time. Yeah. So it didn't seem weird. I didn't have one uh, in in the one that I did, but it was Because you were at a Christian it camp? It was a Christian. <laughs> it was a Christian camp. However... Um, to talk a little bit more about Miss Teen USA, I can tell you probably why, and it's probably because Donald Trump owned it. <laughs> Donald Trump owned Miss Teen USA. Good point. Because he owned Miss Universe, and so he also owned Miss USA and Miss Teen USA underneath it. And he Does he spoken, still own it? Not anymore, um, but he did speak quite openly um, about the fact that he would walk into women's dressing rooms or not even women's. He would walk into the dressing girls rooms dressing rooms of the girls of Miss Teen USA. Uh, they reported that they reported feeling uncomfortable and, and sexually harassed, which is another thing. And again, you know, looking at it from the perspective of like we've been in art and modeling and and sports and like all these other things where as you well. get undressed when you're backstage and you need to feel comfortable sure, and you 
you can be. I mean, we've talked about it within um, gymnastics and figure skating. You can be in situations that can be dangerous without your parent around, but that is something else to keep in mind when you put your kid into pageants, especially as they get older, that they can end up in these compromising positions, especially since all the big pageants, including Miss USA and including Miss America are owned by men. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, and that's another really big reason I think that is kind of overlying this entire episode is that pageants, were created specifically for the male gaze. Yes. They were created by men for the male gaze. And especially involving children in that is really disgusting. But I also think it's kind of because there's this offshoot of adult pageants where they just kind of were like, we're going to do the same thing, but for right, kids. We're going to make no changes. Yeah. We're going to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, but then there's also like something that you mentioned made me think of the fact that when you're put into high levels of competition, whether it be sport or pageants or anything like that, or if you're a child actor or performer, mm-hmm. you are expected to be an adult and you're expected to interact with ad- with adults like an adult, even though yes. you're a kid. Yeah. So there is this also this expectation of being okay with with whatever the adults do around you and fitting in with those adults around you so that maybe if there are uncomfortable situations, you're not going to bring it up because that's not the adult thing to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, and also, like, if pageants is your dream... Right. I guess you're not going to want to screw it up. You wouldn't screw it up. Like you're not going to tell Donald Trump that he can't do that or he can't come in there. Like you're going to allow it even if you're uncomfortable because that is the guy who could make or break you. Yeah. And often did. I mean, there was a lot of talk. A lot of people um, spoke about Donald Trump during his run for presidency uh, about his time as the owner of the Miss Universe and Miss USA pageants that he had it in his contract that he could override any decision that the judges made. I remember that. Choose who won the pageant and often would if he thought there were too many um, women of color who were finalists that he didn't like their features. If he thought their features were too ethnic, he would just kick people out. So it was to your benefit if you really wanted to um, win this pageant or like advance in the pageant. Right. It's almost like a sacrifice you would make. right? Right. And a lot of these people like they put a lot of their time, especially people who started in pageants as children, they've put a lot of their time, effort, money, um, hopes, dreams into achieving the highest level possible. Right. So it's a very shitty situation it's to a, be in. It's a dangerous position to put a kid in. Yeah. Um, there has been some legislation, but pretty much in France is the only yes. place I've ever seen this. Mm-hmm. So um, in France, legislators ban child beauty pageants for children under the age of 16 in an attempt to protect children from being sexualized, which I'm all for. I mean, I don't I think agree. this is going to fix. I don't think there's any way to prevent sexualization of children. No. But I think this is a very great first step. Uh, and I was reading that it was kind of from watching shows like Toddlers and Tiaras yes. and kind of witnessing Miss America and all that that kind of made them be like, this is some weird Western bullshit. We don't want to be a part of it. Yes. We're not doing it. Yeah, there was a Harvard sociologist, Dr. Hillary Friedman, um, who gave an interview in 2012 
on the matter of like whether or not pageants and shows like Toddlers and Tiaras were kind of perpetuating this idea of sexualizing children. And she said that she did believe that it was normalizing the idea of the sexualization of children. And I think that's very true. I mean, if you get used to seeing um, little girls behaving like grown women, you know, it, it, it does kind of like cement in our brains. And like you said, I don't think that legislation is going to stop the sexualization of children however we can make it more difficult like yeah the barrier to we don't have to make it easy for these people yeah yeah the barrier to seeing that kind of thing because i can't imagine that it probably is a magnet for, it is for pedophiles it is. or people seeking that you know Our- pageants are literally magnets for sexual pedophiles just like coaching can be just like teaching can be yeah whenever there are positions where you are working with large numbers of children you are at risk for pedophiles being so attracted to that job position that it's not even funny that is why background checks and everything are so important but not even just a job a lot of these pageants are pretty much open to the public right so i mean anybody off the street could walk in and your child is i don't care what they're wearing even if they're covered head to toe your child is parading around on like an adult right like and I don't know I would feel very uncomfortable with that and I understand that we can't like completely mold our society around a select few but there can be protections as to who comes to watch these events and things like that that I think are incredibly important and I think that before we move on to adult beauty pageants we can't talk about child pageants without talking about JonBenet Ramsey it's going to come out it's going to come up in anywhere you look up child pageants yeah. because it was kind of one of the first times that like the American conscious became aware of the way we reacted to these child pageant girls because the photo of Jean Benet that was mm-hmm. so widely used that you will still find if you look up Jean Benet the like, first picture yeah. is her like glamour shot. She's got her bleached blonde hair that and her she's mother bleached. Five. She's five. She was killed when she was six. She was five years old in these photos. She's got fake lashes, bleached hair, red permed lipstick. hair, red mm-hmm. lipstick. She's in a big feathery, you know, outfit. And every magazine, every article used these like modeling photos. And it's it truly, very it's very strange. I think it's a huge reason why that case was so popular yes. in the media. But it also really shone a light on these pageant moms and really did nothing well, nothing good for Patsy Ramsey at no. all because it made her look really, really bad because she legit was like bleaching her four-year-old daughter's hair to make her look good. Fun fact, I did background with a woman who did pageants with John Bonet growing up. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's her. Wild. Her like uh, sister was John Bonet's age and she was like a year or two younger and they would like go up for breakfast before the competitions and such. Yeah, you know, I... I'm a little younger than John Bonet would have been. Yeah. Um, but I remember, I think I am anyway, but I was a child at the time whenever all that stuff was happening. And I remember seeing her face all over those tablets. That People magazine, for some reason, will always, because it, it was just that headshot really yeah. big. 
Yeah. And I, I remember not thinking anything of it at the time necessarily, except for thinking that she was pretty. But now as an adult, I do find that very strange that that angle was played up so much. That's just like this glamorous pageant baby. Yeah. I just Googled JonBenet because I wanted to see how old she would have been. She was born in 1990. So you would be oh, slightly older than her about the same age. Yeah. yeah, yeah August 19, 6th. 1990 as well. So, yeah. so she would have been a few years, a few months younger, a few months younger. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So when I Googled her just now, the first all of the photos that I'm seeing right now and I'm scrolling through and that People magazine cover showed up, I don't see a single photo of her looking like a kid. Yeah. You are hard pressed to find a photo of John Bonet looking like a five year old. Yeah. And I think that people forgot that she was five years old. And I also think that, you know, because well, that our whole case was so scandalized. It was, and I was going to say that I think, unfortunately, because our, our society is the way that it is. I think sexualizing her as a child did bring this new level of scandal, especially with the people who came forward. And there was, you know, trigger warning, all this stuff about her underwear and like, yeah, this is whether or not she was sexually abused and whether or not her parents were allowing her to be around pedophiles and whether or not beauty pageants had anything to do with that. And while I think that that's a very kind of like separate issue from the case, maybe, maybe not, depending on who actually murdered JonBenet Ramsey. I I think it was actually a good thing that that conversation started, whether or not I think it was good that it overtook the fact that this was a murder investigation of a child. Yes, I Um, agree with both of those things. Right, both can be true at the same time, right? I'm glad we're opening the conversation about beauty pageants, but I don't like the way it was sensationalized in the media as this scandalous, like almost like a, a noir kind of vibe or almost for a child. like if her parents are innocent which yes. i'm kind of on the team that her brother did it and the dad covered it up that's kind of my i know i try thing. not to say that publicly because people have very strong opinions but i, mean, yes, I don't care yeah. come at me like that's how i feel but anyway Hashtag so it's like if the <laughs> if the parents let's say they had nothing to do with it right i think that taking the beauty pageant angle then is a horrible thing because I think that it's turning the investigation and the public awareness away from something that could have actually happened. But if the parents did have something to do with it, then I think that that the beauty pageant angle has a lot of weight. It has weight. I just don't like the way it was reported on. Totally. Because I feel like they, they clung to something that they thought was like, this is unique and interesting. And, and look they at this only pretty baby, ever you know? shared that about her. And that's the thing. I mean, it's also kind of that like missing white girl syndrome. It was yeah. this beautiful blonde cherubic looking yeah. little girl you know like of yeah. course everybody's like oh my god we must know what happened she to truly, her she truly was like the like 80s 90s like baby like perfect yeah angel she passed in 96 yeah. she really was she was like what would be seen as kind of america's sweetheart and she did great in pageants you know what i mean because she she was she was beautiful and she was beautiful before any of that stuff was done to her yeah. but anyways are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, 
that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <sighs> okay, so let's kind of move into the feminist critique of pageants. So I read yeah. this very interesting um, medium.com article and you know medium.com like articles are kind of hit and miss because almost anyone can get on there and and write. However, this was pretty well written and it was written by um, Vaishnavi Palapathu. Oh, I read this one. Did you read this one? Yes. It was so good. And so this is kind of long, but I'm going to read this whole section because I do think that she kind of broke down the issues of beauty pageants in a very like concise way of yeah. adults like adult beauty pageants yeah beauty pageants have long been critiqued by feminists for reinforcing patriarchal standards for women such as by objectifying them women are told to line up and are then scored based on their looks their smiles their hair makeup and clothing women are sexualized as a form of entertainment and these pageants promote standards of beauty that are unrealistic in fact the identity of a woman is reduced to a number they lose their name and personality this effectively erases her value outside of the world of appearance and aesthetics The criteria by which women are chosen or even eligible to compete is very problematic. She must be between the age of 18 and 25, a certain height and weight, and her body measurements must not exceed a certain number of inches. Pageants also often reinforce ideas about how long the hair on our head and body should be, the lightness of our skin, makeup we're supposed to apply, and the clothes we're supposed to wear. These restrictions promote a narrow and limiting conception of beauty. Women and girls who do not fit into this ideal box are singled out and excluded from the narrative. Young girls and women are hence socialized subconsciously to evaluate their self-worth based on their physical appearance. I love, it's a lot, it's a lot, but no, I but love all great. the way that she says that because I do think that it is important to point out it's not, I don't like that it's ever framed as we are against these women or right. we're against these women because of their appearance or no, because they're participating in this thing. And right? to be very clear, we're not against the women. No. Never against the women or the people that it, choose exactly. to be a part of this. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not about that. It's more to me about the messages that it's sending to the women who do not fit into this ideal box. Right. And that 
they should fit into this box. This is this is what the ideal woman is. Yeah. Right? But you know, the one thing that I couldn't stop thinking about when you were reading that, you were talking about the age range, you were talking about the size, mm-hmm. the yes. skin color, the hair color, everything. And all I could think about was what happens to those women when they're done with pageants? Right. Oh, yeah. What happens to the way they view their bodies and themselves when they're not actively competing and trying to keep their bodies at a certain level? And that is the biggest critique that I see online of pageants in general. It is the astronomical numbers of women and girls and anybody. I mean, because there are lots of boys and men who compete as well Mm -hmm. that have incredible body dysmorphia, eating disorders, depression, anxiety, perfectionism, um, OCD. There are so many mental disorders that can come out of this. And there are so many people that when you're actually in that world and you're distracted because you're you're so busy with everything else and then it's like once you retire and that identity is gone and like I so relate to this and it was such a big reason why my eating disorder just festered because once you feel like you've lost that part of your identity and when that identity is partially tied or maybe in this case fully tied to Mm -hmm. your looks one who are you without it and what's your worth without it? Absolutely. I mean, just as a woman existing in the world, right? And maybe it's pumped up slightly for you and I because we were in acting circles, auditioning and, and things like that. Well, which, and you did cheerleading and cheerleading I did figure and, skating. A lot yeah. of our lives have based around our appearances, which is why we can right. relate. Absolutely. But beyond that, even, even just women existing in the world, we are constantly being told that Every day we age, we're depreciating in value, right? right? And especially like every day we age after the age of 25, we're we're depreciating in value and you're constantly supposed to be fighting against getting older because your value is intrinsically tied. And we're supposed to really hate the younger ones because they still have that youth and beauty. Right, yeah. And like your value is so intrinsically tied to how you look, yeah, right? And the size of your body and those kinds of things. And the color of your skin and the texture of your hair and, and the texture there's, of your skin yeah and like, there's so uh, there's so much involved in that that there's right. no in my mind there's no way that you can leave that world unscathed right and so I mean even just existing as a woman it's hard already I mean existing as a person right like these pressures are on us aging is hard but whenever you are in a world where that is your value like, right, you are literally being measured and judged based on you have to go in front of a crowd and announce your measurements to the crowd, right? Yeah. Like those kinds of things are being publicly weighed. You're being told to lose weight. Like, we both knew a person who went to our school um, who was Miss Mexico. And, oh, yeah. And she was in my class and I was friends with her and lovely. Yeah, totally she lovely. was very sweet. Um, But she told me after she, in order to win Miss Mexico, first of all, they paid for her. She was 22 when I met her. She turned 23 a few months after we met. Um, but she, so she was younger than that whenever she competed. She's probably like 20, 21. And they paid to have the fat taken out of her cheeks. They paid to have her <sighs> boobs done. It was botched the first time, so she had to get a second one. I remember talking to her about that. They paid to have liposuction on her body Right. And at the end of the day, she didn't even end up liking 
the like <laughs> no and you become someone who is not yourself and she didn't want to do it like no. you know it's kind of this thing that again it was like well you have to do these things so that you photograph better or and I think the second uh, boob job she got was after she was Miss Mexico so that she would be in the right shape for her like tour that she had to do afterwards you oh know my God. it's just it's very intense. And so to speak about eating disorders and beauty pageants, um, I was only able to find like one research study about beauty pageants and eating disorders. And it's kind of old. It's from 2003, but I, sh- I thought I'd share anyway. Uh, it found that self-esteem, dieting, and body image of 131 female beauty pageant contestants with a median age of 26 from 43 states were examined by an anonymous survey most, 89.6%, reported being a pageant finalist or winner, and 55.2% had competed at a national or international level. Over one-fourth, 26%, of the women had been told or perceived they had an eating disorder, which reportedly began at 16.25 years of age. Yeah. Almost half, 48.5, reported wanting to be thinner, and 57% were trying to lose weight. It's this constant, you know, and this is after they're out of the pageant world. Yeah. It's just like that was something that. Well, because them. this this is the thing. My eating disorder did not present itself until after I quit skating, because when I was skating, I'm a naturally thinner person, but I didn't really go through puberty until after I quit. So I gained weight. My body was changing all these other things. And so it wasn't until after that that I started to see my body differently and mm-hmm. want to get back to that kind of prepubescent stage right. and all that kind of stuff. So I do feel like when you're in it, there's one level of like, I got to diet, I got to do this, but there's also like a goal in mind. And I feel like once that goal is gone, you still have that expectation on yourself to perform and look the same way you did when you were at your best. Right. I know for me, there was a big thing where I used to always say I peaked when I was 14. Like I was like the best at my sport. And to me, that meant my life peaked at that point. And so what my body was, all of those things, in my mind, I had convinced myself subconsciously even that that was the time that I was at my very, very best. So even in my adult form, I wanted to strive for that. And which is why when I think of these people, because it's like, of course, it's so damaging when you're in it. But all of those effects are going to hit you so much more once you're out of it. Right. I mean, and, and how do you move on? If that's if that's how you grew up, right? Like that's just kind of the way your brain is wired as well. So just because you're not doing pageants anymore, there, exactly. there's not an automatic switch in your brain that says, oh, you can stop thinking but about your body like this. But now. you're not training all day and you're right. not doing all these things. So your body's going to change and all these other things are suddenly going to change. And then you're like, wait, no, what the fuck? I, I'm only worth something if I look that way. Right. And so there was another study that was done in 2005 that was conducted by Anna Wunderlich of the University of Minnesota. Um, and a couple of fellow researchers in which they used data collected from 22 women, 11 of whom had participated in a beauty pageant during their childhood and 11 who didn't. And they found that the ones who had partaken in childhood beauty pageants expressed greater body dissatisfaction. Yeah. So while there were kind of similar numbers as far as like full-blown eating disorders, the way they talked about the bo- their bodies, the way that they expressed, you know, dissatisfaction with their bodies yeah. were greater by a lot you know because you're told from the moment you begin that that's your value 
And that's just... Yeah. And you're always picking, you're always pinching, you're always trying to find things that are wrong so that you can fix them so that you can look perfect on stage, yep. you know? Oh, um, it makes me so mad. It, it makes me mad too. So, okay, there is one more thing at least that I want to touch on. Okay, because there's something I want to touch on, but maybe it's the same thing. Probably the same thing. Oh my God, is it? I feel like we would be remiss to not discuss the 1968 protests. I want to talk that, about the 1968 protests, but there is one other topic that I want to discuss as well. But we can touch on that first. Okay. Okay, great. All well, right. do you remember our girl that was like one of the big organizers for this? I'm absolutely certain we have spoken about her. Is it Carol Hannish? We've talked about Carol Hannish. remember who Carol Hannish's friend was? Shulamith fucking Firestone, oh, baby. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, she was. So it was the, um, blah, 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 where am I? Hold on. Let me find my notes here. So it was the New York Radical Women that put yes. on this mm-hmm. protest. And the New York Radical Women was started by former child actor Robin Morgan, along with Carol Hannish, who was one of the best friends of Shulamith Firestone, along with another woman named Pam Allen. They're all awesome. Shulamith Firestone, I love you forever. Let's continue. <laughs> yeah, and Carol Hannish, you might remember, also popularized the phrase, the personal is political. Yes. So that's the person who, who popularized that phrase and these women organized the first protest against Miss America so they were responding not only to the pageant and its antiquated misogynistic attitudes toward women but also how the United States as a whole treated women so they saw this Um, Carol Hannish went on to say that this just might be the way to bring the fledgling women's liberation movement into the public arena. It right, was because they huge. had started the New York Radical Feminists. They were doing this stuff, but there was nothing, there were no, like, um, political activist, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Demonstrations. There were no right. demonstrations that were going on that would have, like, the public consciousness be aware of this new feminist yes. movement. So they were kind of, like, looking for something. They were looking for an angle of something. Well, it's, it's smart. And it is. And Carol Hannish saw, along with a few other people, and I believe I did discuss this a bit. We did talk about the protest a bit, or I did when I covered Shulamith Firestone. But Carol Hannish and a few others went to go see, like, a documentary. And that was when she first learned about the correlation between Um, beauty pageants and women's self-esteem and all the things that we just discussed and it was kind of like a light bulb moment for her like this is what we should be going after yeah I mean so let's talk a little bit about the Miss America pageant because I know for me the Miss America pageant was like the pageant like it's the one that I was televised I watched it on TV you know I loved I never watched it but it is like the pageant yeah yeah so the Miss America pageant began as a marketing scheme held in Atlantic City just after Labor Day in 1921 as a way for newspapers to increase their circulation for the resort's businesses to extend their summer season. Can I mention something really quick? Because I don't think we're going to get into it in the episode. Fun fact, P.T. Barnum actually tried to start the first beauty pageant in the U.S., but there were so many protests and things like that going on around it that he uh, essentially did like a mail-in beauty contest. So you could like send in your photo and your measurements and all this stuff and then the judges would go off of that. It's so shady and weird. I had to mention that really quick. Uh, well, okay. So 
that is kind of how the Miss America pageant started. As yeah, well. so yeah. Newspapers across the country held contests judging photographs of young women. And then the winners, like just judging by their photos, the winners came to Atlantic City for a competition where they were evaluated on personality and social graces. <laughs> but it was only white women, mind you. Yeah. Um, at first, it was an unspoken rule that the contestants of the competition be white. But in 1930, Lenora Slaughter, who was the director of the pageant, put into effect rule number seven, which said, quote, contestants must be of good health and of the white race. Okay, so you are actually bringing up the other topic that I want to get into. So let's veer for a second and then we'll get back to the protest. So racism in pageants are, it's huge. Yes. So like Keegan said, in early years, only white contestants were allowed to compete and pageants themselves had a lot of racial undertones. So the first time that black performers appeared in pageants were in 1923, but they were as backup dancers who were portraying enslaved people. So Um, on the Miss America stage. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In 1970, Cheryl Brown represented Iowa in Miss America, being the first black American to compete in Miss America. So that was something like 30 years after the Rule 7 was abolished. So it was abolished in 1940, and it wasn't until 1970 that a black woman would appear as a contestant on the Atlantic city stage yeah so it was janelle kamisayong and i apologize if i'm pronouncing this wrong i forgot to look up a google sound example um in 1977 janelle kamisayong became the first black miss america and vanessa williams became the first black miss america in 1983 so i know i'm saying the same thing twice and i had to kind of reread it in my head but there is something called black miss america that was created as kind of a protest against the regular miss america which i'm going to get into in just a second but i wanted to talk about vanessa williams before i do so so penthouse magazine which is kind of like an x-rated magazine published some unauthorized photos of Vanessa shortly before uh, the Miss America pageant happened. And once they were released, because those photos were out, she was forced to give up her title. And it wasn't until 32 years later in 2015 that Miss America CEO Sam Haskell apologized to her on stage with Vanessa Williams at the 2016 Miss America pageant. And this was in my in my perspective, a very racial thing. Absolutely, yes. Because I think that if you're talking about models, there are lots of times that these models would be posing for magazines that are very similar to this. Like, that's just part of the work. And I think that the fact that she was the first black woman to win Miss they America. They made a lot of it. They made, they a made yeah. such a big deal of it. Mm-hmm. And it was so unbelievably scandalized. But I want to get back to very briefly back to Janelle Kamasayong, who was the first winner of black Miss America in 1977. And that was created in 1968 at the Ritz Carlton in Atlantic City. Uh, the NAACP tri-state director, Philip H. Savage supported the pageant and helped it receive nationwide coverage as a protest against the Miss America pageant. The event was televised on NBC on September in September 1977, the day before CBS aired Miss America because the shade. Yeah, and it was happening at the same time as the 1968 protest against Miss America. So yes. I think that there was some collaboration to have those events happen at the same time, kind of. Well, because the women's liberation movement really did take 
a lot of notes from the civil rights movement. And I think because the civil rights movement had this amazing ability to have these demonstrations that created such nationwide attention, that it makes sense that they would find a way to work together or at least be inspired by what the NAACP and Black Miss America was doing in order to kind of like hold their own sort of protest. Yeah, yeah. So the talent portion of the competition now used widely to justify that the competition is not based solely on looks alone right. was introduced in 1938. However, that same year, the pageant chose to limit eligibility to single, never married women between the ages of 18 and 28. Uh, the pageant saw its first Jewish winner in 1945 in Bess Meyerson. However, pageant officials asked her to change her name to Beth Merrick to sound less Jewish, but she that refused. That is so common, not just with Jewish names, but with so many names that are... Quote, unquote, ethnic names. Ethnic mm-hmm. or difficult to pronounce yeah, or things Be- like that. Bess Meyerson is not difficult to pronounce. That is not at all. It is so unbelievable. That's right. clearly racist. But like, I just feel like that's such a common thing where it's like, if you sound to something, you have to change it. You can't yes. sound to whatever your culture is, right. you know? Yeah, I mean, and they explicitly told her it was because she it sounded sounds too, too Jewish. Jewish. And yeah. she, she refused to change her name. Uh, so she, as you know, kind of a result of that, she received few endorsements and her victory tour was cut short in part because she couldn't stay at a lot of the hotels along the tour because Horrible. they wouldn't accept Jewish guests. And there has not been a winner of Miss America who is Jewish since then. <gasps> so that was in 1945. I mean, hey, if I was part of the Jewish community and I witnessed all that going on, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, be surprised. Be like, we're not going to be a part of right. that anymore. I do want to go back. I do, I'm sorry if I'm jumping around, listeners, but I do want to go back to the 1968 protest. Well, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. So, oh, okay, that, okay, I, good. I just wanted to give that history so yes. that we know what was what led up to them decide, deciding to do this protest. Like, it right? Was, it wasn't like a random right. Pick. And yes, it was also because this is a televised event. It was a huge platform. It was. A a way to publicize the feminist movement and the women's liberation movement. Right. But also, I mean, they had legitimate critiques yeah. of the way that the pageant had operated up until this point. Right. So let's get back into the protest of 1968. So on August 22nd of 1968, uh, the New York Radical Women issued a press release inviting women of every political persuasion to the Atlantic City boardwalk on September 7th, which was the day of the contest. They would, quote, protest the image of Miss America, an image that oppresses women in every area in which it purports to represent us, end quote, which I love saying that it's like they are trying to say that they are empowering women right and they are not this stage but they're not right like they we're protesting this image that they're saying represents us i love that they call it the degrading mindless boob girly symbol yes if that's not a shulamith firestone sounding phrase i don't know what isn't you know (laughs) what i will say about that is is kind of like what we said earlier in this episode that carol hannish um did write quote you know later on in her life she did write that quote one of the biggest mistakes of the whole pageant 
uh, was our anti-womanism. Miss America and all beautiful women came off as our enemy instead of our sisters who suffer with us. Well, see, that's but that's such an easy thing yes. to miss. Yes. Because I'm, I, I think that even at the time, I'm sure they were thinking about fighting the establishment Absolutely. and not about the actual women. But I'm sure if they were to take the time and think about it, it's like, no, we're not mad at you for thinking that you have to behave this way. We're mad at we you that love society you. has made you think that exactly. you have to think this way. Right. But to me, the coolest thing I shouldn't say the coolest, but one of the coolest thing about this protest is that like, you know how people always refer to feminists as bra burners? Yes. And we talked this about is why. this. We talked about this in our second wave feminism episode. And we yeah. talked about with Shula with Firestone uh-huh. too. Like this is where the freedom trash can became a thing. Like everyone was invited yeah. to bring like mops and pantyhose and makeup and bras and girls and yeah it was any sort of instruments of female torture in which they called it um so that was kind of what was going on outside is that all this stuff is burning and then inside actually burning that was the thing is that it didn't nothing ever actually burned there was somebody it was just the trash can it was just the trash can they told them they weren't allowed to burn anything because it was on the boardwalk and the boardwalk was flammable so they had originally planned on burning things and there was a reporter from the New York Times who reported, who wrote her article beforehand yeah. saying that they were burning things. And that's where burning that the bras. And then oh my everyone God. kind of took off with that idea that, oh my gosh, these radical feminists are out there burning, burning their, their bras. bras. Well, then uh, Carol Hannish and a few others, there were four pro- protesters that made their way into the actual event. And before the Miss America winner was announced, they they unveiled a large bed sheet that said women's liberation on it and they began chanting women's liberation and things like it and then they were removed by police quickly afterward but they did make a really big statement um, there were no cameras that recorded that incident but there were like tons of reporters and newspapers there that wrote all about that incident and it really did give this huge boost to the women's liberation movement. Right. I mean, a lot of people credit, many historians now credit the 68 protest as the beginning of feminism's broader second wave. Yeah. Kind of like it goes Well, because beyond. they, that was the whole thing and they were looking for a way to make it be more mainstream and known. And what I loved about this protest as well was that for all of the times that we very validly criticize the second wave for not being inclusive and for being largely a white feminist kind of um, movement. Yeah. They did go out of their way in their manifesto to say that a, a reason why they were protesting was because of the racism of the pageant, that there hadn't been a woman of color who had ever won, nor had there ever been up until this point, a black contestant, nor had there ever been, and this is what they wrote, nor has there ever been a true Miss America an American Indian. So they put all of these things like actually into their documents. I gotta say, I, I think the radical feminists of that era more than the mainstream feminists like Betty Friedan and Gloria yes, Steinem, yeah kind of had the right idea like I think that's why they were less popular because they were more willing to look into the intersections absolutely rather than mm-hmm. the primary white yeah. feminist issues I mean, they were also anti-capitalist in that yeah. they also attacked the pageant from a consumeristic point of view um, by boycotting all of the sponsors all the corporate sponsors right um, who kind of gave to the pageant so yeah it was, it was very cool what they did there very um 
So let me see. I guess the only thing that I have left to say, I think we've I've, I've hit most of my bullet points in my notes, um, but I kind of wanted to wrap it up with the fact that some people do find pageants to be empowering. Right. There are people who will always give that argument that um, pageants have come to represent a different form of feminism, especially in recent years, for better or for worse. They do provide a large scale platform for women to express themselves and showcase their talents and receive recognition. And there are a lot of contestants, um, previous former pageant contestants, who will tell you that they had very positive experiences and say that the platform helped to improve their communication skills. Um, And in recent years, pageants have also been a means for women to not only earn money via scholarships towards higher education, although I will say that Miss America is a little shady on what they say. They do give a lot of money to scholarships, but their numbers are a little fudged. Yeah, yeah. But in recent years, we've seen a lot of women use their platform within pageants to be vocal about women's rights and gender inequality. In November of 2017, the contenders of Miss Peru beauty pageant recited statistics and facts about the violence against women in their country instead of their bust, waist, and hip measurements. And I remember Love when that. this happened. Yeah. Still, you're in a pageant where you have to publicly tell your bust, waist, and hip measurements, but... Um, it was very cool and it was very effective. It was a way to protest. Yeah, yeah, it was a protest. These women stood in solidarity together. Again, a very scary thing to do when this yeah. is your dream. You've worked hard to get to the Miss Peru stage. Yeah, that's ballsy. That That is a surefire way to maybe not be scored as well. Yeah, but they all did it together. So yeah. I mean, like, you can't hurt all of them. Right? Yeah, what They're are you going to do? They're standing as a group together and it was very, very cool. They all got up there. I remember this footage and um, this was a big problem in their country. And they addressed it on this platform that they had been given. Of and course. And it's cool that they had that platform to do that. Um, you know? Yes. So I want to close it with this last little chunk from that Medium article because I think that she summarized it very well. Quote, at the end of the day, beauty pageants both empower and degrade women. They both promote feminism and borrow from the patriarchy. The bottom line is... However, pageants are inspiring women to redefine what it means to be beautiful. Women are not beautiful only if they fit into the norms of having a pretty face and carry an exhausting zest for life. Women are beautiful when they accomplish what they set out to do, leaping across hurdles and breaking barriers. They are beautiful when they stand up for themselves and question inequality. They are beautiful when they show empathy and help support and build up other women and not bring them down. So... I think that we're heading that way. Right. Well, in, and in pageants, I hope it continues that way. I agree. And there was a Psychology Today article that I read where it was talking about what to do if you if your child is interested in that world, if you're interested in that world. And the biggest thing they said was ensuring that you have passions and activities outside of just the pageant world. And I think that that is such an important message to all of us because it's easy for us to have tunnel vision, especially when we have this need to succeed in our culture and society, where it's easy for us to focus on one thing and put all of our eggs in one basket and all of our worth 
into that one thing as well. And what I was reading is that it's important for us to have a variety of different passions and things that excite us in our lives so that when we lose one of those things or don't do as well or maybe don't fit into the same dress size or look like we did when we were at the top of our game or in your mind of what you think is the top of our game, you have other things that have value and worth within you so that you don't only rely on that one thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as as parents, you know, I'm, it must be difficult to ride that line between giving your child what, what they, want. they want and what you think they need and really monitoring their well-being. I know my mom really struggled with that, you, you know, whenever I wanted to do any kind of performing art. Right. So I think another important thing is to just constantly be monitoring your child making sure that they are happy with what they're doing, that what they're doing and communicating is, with them. Yeah. Like that was one thing that my mom always made so clear to me is that you can stop anytime you can stop anytime. Yeah. And like, I don't think a lot of people in my adult life realize how important skating was to me. Like that was supposed to be my life. Right. And there was so much pressure on me, but the fact that my mom always told me that you could tell me right now that you don't want to do it anymore and you're we'll never coming back. We're right. going to go home. And that was like, like I'm almost going to get teary thinking about it. But like to me, it was like my worth is not wrapped around what I do there today. And I think that there's that thing for each of us that we carry our worth in. Mm-hmm. And it's whether or not we do good or bad in our own perception of it that day that carries our worth rather right. than having a widespread different array of things that carry our worth and also you know parents and I'm sure that this is is hard to do sometimes because your life does get wrapped up in your children a lot of the time but also watch yourself because I know that there was a lot of stuff I I wanted to make my parents happy yeah I wanted to make them proud and if I if I sensed that like me doing this thing or their worth at all was wrapped up in my success in the pageant world or whatever it is, then I would push myself probably beyond healthy boundaries. Right. And I think that that, that's the thing is that parents, just as much as children who are in pageants, have to do their own work and understand that their child is not an extension of them. What their child does is part of their own being. They are their own person and they are allowed to do whatever they choose to do in their yep. lives. And I know that's so hard to say. I mean, yes, my mom struggled with, you know, trying to coach me from the sidelines. And luckily I had a coach that stopped her. But, you know, that's something that's so easy because you care about your child and you want to see them succeed. And it's easy to tell yourself that you're just doing everything you can to help them achieve their goal. But I think being really cognizant of like how you're interacting with your child in those types of circumstances and letting them be a kid is so important. Yeah. Yep. So if you're going to do it, just like you you have to just be aware of the things you're teaching your child. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm so glad we talked about this. I can't believe that we've never touched this topic before. Well, man, it seems like a very big and daunting. I even texted you because I was like, there's so much on this on this subject. So listeners, if you want more, I mean, a simple feminism and beauty pageant search on Google will pull up many many articles oh my gosh and you know i love reading about all of the like the history of things and how things came to yeah, be yeah i mean i'm not here to push you going on wikipedia but i thoroughly enjoyed reading the child pageant and regular pageant histories on wikipedia they were unbelievably fascinating the amount of men 
who dip their toes into why things are the way they are. There's so much into this. So if you've enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to go off and do your own research if there's anything else that you want to know more about. There are so many amazing activists that have come through the pageant world, uh, moments of activism that have come yeah, through. Yeah, we didn't even touch on a lot. Of, I mean, there have been a lot of... We didn't touch on um, Mike Tyson. A lot of protests that happen within the pageant world. So just... Throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, there's a cornucopia of information for you out there. So thank you so much to the listener who suggested this episode. You all always have such amazing suggestions and save us when we don't know what to do. So if there's anything that you want us to talk about in the future, please email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on angry neighborhood feminist on Instagram. Before I forget to mention it, we are ending our holiday merch on January 30th. So if you want to get your slay the patriarchy sweatshirt before next holiday season, get on our threadless account by going to the link in our bio on our Instagram page or get a Rage On mask or a Yamp sticker or what else do we have? We've got notebooks. We got notebooks. There's onesies. Yeah. There's phone cases. Like there's so much stuff. There's magnets. We have so many goodies. So if you want to find any of that, just go to our link in our bio on our Instagram. We also have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the fellow listeners on the group page. Last but most certainly not least, we would love it if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so already, it is the best way to support us and it truly does make our day. We love talking each other about them all right that's all we have for you today with all that being said we encourage you to rage on bye nowadays trends and news cycles change faster than we can blink but there are some things that withstand the test of time and if you're looking for a connection to something timeless and maybe also a glimpse of life at a slower pace, I believe everyone can relate to the very human experiences explored in Jane Austen's novels. And that's where I come in. My name is Alison Larkin. I'm a writer, comedian, and narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. I spent a lot of my childhood in the part of England where Jane Austen lived and wrote, And now that I live in the States, nothing gives me a sense of homecoming quite like narrating her books. On this show, you'll listen to award-winning narration, I'll give myself a pat on the back for that, as well as conversations with actors, writers and other fascinating people who all share a passionate love for Jane Austen. So please, join me as we embark on a wonderful journey through Jane Austen's work. Be sure to listen and subscribe to The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>